My name is Stuart, for those of you who I've not met, and I've got the pleasure of and the privilege of being here to carry on our series that we're doing on the book of Joshua. And I'm actually going to start with a story today, just to sort of whet our appetite. So do listen in, listen up, okay? Something to get our spiritual pulse going a little bit. And that's partly because last week, James talked about courage, didn't he? Um, Wasn't last week an absolutely fantastic service? It was absolutely stunning. Can we just give our leaders a massive round of applause for all that they do? Because I just thought um, last week, um, the commissioning of Ruth and Nathan, our previous associate pastors, um, was just an amazing celebration of all this church stands for. And um, I think in combination with last week and the week and a couple of weeks before we did our vision, vision service, I just, I've just felt proud to be part of this church and particularly proud of our leaders. And I think that we're going into a season where, our, our, especially our senior leaders, our staff team, they need to know that we're behind them. So, so thank you very much. It was a cracking, cracking week last week. So maybe preaching this week is somewhat of a poison chalice, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm up for it. No, only joking. Um, but James talks about having courage from heaven. And he, he mentioned three things. He said, if we're going to have courage from heaven, we've got to know that we are on God's assignment, that we're really that we're going in God's authority. Secondly, that we've got to be people who rely on the presence of God. God said to Joshua, never will I leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. And that we've got to be a people who are willing to be obedient. He said to Joshua that he needed to meditate on the Lord day and night, and he had a mission for him. So there's those three things to keep in mind, that actually we want to be a people who know God's authority, that rely on his presence, are opening to the prompt things of the Holy Spirit and people who are willing to obey and sometimes that takes courage especially when there's fear because actually we're involved in a spiritual battle you know that's what we believe is we're extending the kingdom of God there's something that's pushing against us that's the kingdom of God and we have to have courage and that is kind of where we're going today today is going to be about opening up our hearts and asking God to give us courage to be people who will live in his authority and seek his presence obediently. So I'm going to start with a story just to get us going, to see what might happen if, as a people, we started doing this sort of stuff. Okay, Pradip Sudra, an Indian missionary from Great Britain, so that's a good start, he's from the UK, <laughs> recently described an event in the southern Gujarat state that, again, illustrates the very human need to see the power of God actually demonstrated. Pradip was on a mission with Operation Mobilization, and he was accompanied by half a dozen co-workers, solid evangelicals, um, but they were fairly, all fairly inexperienced in ministering with supernatural signs, wonders, and healings. Their custom was to go from village to village in a truck with large letters painted on it proclaiming, Jesus saves and he's alive. The main road passed along many small roads or mud trails that would lead back to a village. They would enter each side road to hand out tracks and do some preaching in one village after another. Pretty solid stuff. The driver passed one side road without the slightest hesitation. Pradip sensed in his spirit that they should go up that road and told the driver to turn around and go back. The driver said, no, that's a Muslim village. If we go there, they'll stone us. They'll beat us. Nevertheless, Pradip urged him to go back and turn into the village. As the truck entered the village, it was quickly surrounded by a large group of hostile men and boys with clubs and stones. But before any action started, the local Muslim mullah, their leader, came out and tried to calm down the crowd. He turned to the Christian and said, hey, I've also heard that Jesus heals. Now, if you're true servants of Jesus, then I want you to do one thing. I'll let, um, I'll, let you, I'll let you preach in this village, but only on one condition. That is, my wife has been ill. She's in bed. She's been there for five years. She has stomach cramps. Pray for her. If she gets healed, you have my permission to preach here. If she doesn't get healed, dot, dot, dot. 
product says, we knew what the results would be and they would really beat us. Product took one colleague with him and accompanied the mullage to his cottage. They had the husband lay hands on her for it was culturally inappropriate for them to do so. <laughs> then they prayed that she would be released from the spirit that was oppressing her. Instantly, she was healed and rose up and she waited on them. They were urged by the people to stay on, which they did for three weeks, each morning and evening. They taught the people Bible stories and songs about Jesus. And at the end of three weeks, the villagers said, there's a river just down from the hill from here. We want to be baptized. 250 people, virtually all the villagers above the age of 12 or 13 were baptized in one service. A full-time pastor was sent out to the village from Tamil Nadu by an Indian mission called the Friends Missionary Prayer Band. And today the church is self-supporting and is sending out workers to share Jesus with their surrounding villages. And Pradip Sudra has made occasional visits back to the village to verify the ongoing fruit of power evangelism. Isn't that a great story? Because that guy Pradip, he sensed the Holy Spirit, didn't he? Saying, go this way. And then there was fear. But he had faith that gave him enough courage to overcome that fear. And that's... And, and, and that faith resulted in maybe generations of people coming to know Jesus, right? You know, whole communities. And wouldn't it be amazing, actually, if we were to be like that, we were to be people who walked in the authority of Jesus, who were open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in his presence and who walked out obediently and who had courage to overcome fear. Wouldn't it be great if we could see um, the kingdom of God being ex- extended in Cardiff, maybe into areas that we would previously see as unexpected places or places that were resistant for the gospel to spread because we were seeing God move in power. So I hope you're encouraged by that and partly what I'm, sh- I'm going to share another, a couple of stories is just to kind of get us excited and get us a vision for what the kingdom can look like and how God can move powerfully when we are reliant on the Holy Spirit. Now James um, you know, he was talking about courage last week. And I suppose just as we start, just to bring it home, I would like just to ask you, you know, the question for us is, when did I last step out in courage for the kingdom of God? When was the last time that I had courage, that I, I was in a situation uh, that, that required courage, I took a risk, I had faith for the kingdom of God? Because it is really easy for us to be um, paralyzed by fear often, isn't it? And to sit in our comfort zones, for church to be this comfortable thing for us, and to forget that we've got this kingdom that we're meant to be taking into the world and into dark places. So um, if you wanted to make it really personal, maybe you could do that as your small group icebreaker this week. Bit awkward, but when was the last time you stepped out in courage for the kingdom of God? And the point partly is, if you say, oh, that's really convicting me, and you say, Lord, give me courage. Give me courage. Give me a faith that will result in a courage that overcomes the fear of earthly men and women, okay? And so that's, that's kind of where I'm driving at today. So just before we look at the passage in Joshua, I just want to pray because that is, that is my heart. And I just encourage you to open up your heart to the Lord and ask him to give you courage and faith to see him do great wonders, okay? You know, just invite you, Holy Spirit, now. I pray for every heart here that you would put a deposit of faith and courage in every heart, Lord, and that you would excite and inspire a vision of your kingdom, and Lord, that you would do great things in your people in Cardiff, in the, not just in this church, but all across Cardiff and through Wales, that your kingdom would come more and more powerfully, particularly in areas that we might have thought are far away from you, that we'd see many people coming to, to praise and worship you, Jesus, and that your name would be lifted high, Lord. We pray your kingdom would come on, hev- on earth as in heaven. Amen. 
Okay, great. So we're looking at Joshua 2, and we're just going to read the chapter in a second, but I just want to set a tiny little bit of context, which is to say that the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land, and the promised land is literally the land that God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And so he, when God first called Abraham, and he chose a people, and he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you into a great nation, you're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. At that point, he said, I'm going to give you a land to be in. But the Israelites have had to hold this promise for well over 400 years. I mean, that's quite a long time to try and hold on to a promise, isn't it? <laughs> I think I find waiting four minutes hard enough usually. But they've, they've been waiting 400 years, and at times they've probably thought this is never going to happen. And they've also had a failed exploration of the promised land already. So Moses, when he led the Israelites out of Egypt, he sent 12 men on a sort of bit of a recce into the promised land, and 10 of them came back saying, yeah, that is a fertile and good land, but those people, whoa, they are way too powerful we can't go and there's only two of the 12 Caleb and Joshua who had faith that God could do it they had a faith that gave them courage to say we can trust in God he can do it but unfortunately because of the the sin and the rebellion of the majority God said I I just can't take your sin and your rebellion against me you are going to you're going to stay in the desert and you're going to perish apart from Caleb and Joshua and so they had to stay for 40 years to pay for their sin of rebellion and unbelief in God so when we come to Joshua chapter 2 when Joshua is going to for the second time send spies into into the promised land we've got to remember that there is 400 years of expectation here and there's a previous failed event and this is a little bit of a for Joshua I can imagine an anxious and a bit of a nail-biting sort of moment So let's read the chapter. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men are shorter. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. 
And the men said to her, this oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you will tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And so when we consider everything that's gone before, 400 odd years of expectation, a previous failed recce, this is great news for the Israelites. You know, these spies, they've not really had to do that much. They've just turned up and God has gone ahead of them. He's caused the hearts of the people in that land to be melting in fear because of the demonstration of his power previously. And he has divinely orchestrated this woman Rahab to take them in. God has gone ahead of them. And so there's this great encouragement to us, isn't it? As we think about stepping out in faith for the kingdom of God in in our lives and as a church to know that God goes ahead of us. He doesn't just call us into something and leave us alone, but he goes ahead of us. Verse 24, they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear. The message that Rahab had given was great news to the people of Israel. And really, it's no surprise, I suppose, when we consider the the history that this woman Rahab, because she's provided this absolutely pivotal moment, she's given the information away that the king of Jericho wouldn't have wanted her to give which results then in Joshua leading the Israelites to to subsequently into into Jericho. You know, I don't want to spoil, you know, a couple of weeks' time, But, you know, she's a pivotal figure and it's no surprise really that she goes down in Jewish history as being somewhat of a a hero or heroine. Um, If we looked through the Bible, we see that Rahab gets adopted into the Israelites. She becomes part of God's family. And in the book of Matthew, she's even mentioned as being in the ancestry or the genealogy of Jesus. So that's pretty cool. And she's praised as a woman um, of faith in Hebrews 11. She's in the, the heroes of the faith. And in James 2, it says that she's not just a lady of faith, but she's got faith that results in action. So there's, you know, she is a great encouragement to us. I think there's, there's two things really we can get from Rahab. Number one, that God loves to use people who, who, are, who discount themselves or who other people would discount. God loves and delights to use unexpected people, doesn't he? Rahab, who ought to have been far away from God, you know, she was um, a member of the Canaanite people. They were the enemies of God. They were considered evil and immoral. And she was a prostitute, Um, And she was a woman, so in a patriarchal society, this was not somebody who was (laughs) going to be thought of as the number one person that God was going to use. But God delights in using people who who would discount themselves. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, Stu, you're going to talk about the kingdom of God advancing and you you shared some story about some miracles and trying to ask for courage, but that's not me. Then would you know that God uses everybody and he delights in using everyone he can use everybody and he delights in using everyone let Rahab be an encouragement to your heart 
I think the second thing that we learn from Rahab is that she is an example of faith and courage. She's got this whole thing going on of a faith that gives her courage to overcome the fear of an earthly person, okay? So if we look at verse three, the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. So surely at this point, Rahab is in a bit of a vice. You know, life is like a vice. What is inside comes out. And this is the, this is the moment where, she's, where her allegiance has got to become clear. Because there is, there's surely, if, if she says what she ends up saying to the king of Jericho, and then soldiers were to come into her house and they were to find the men, then her life and the life of her whole family would be in grave jeopardy. But she has enough faith have the courage to say to the king of Jericho what she subsequently says. So she is this model of faith and courage for us. She's a lady who's, who's ready to risk, isn't she? You know, I don't know whether Rahab partly thinks she hasn't got that much to lose because she says later, will you, will you spare us from death? You know, your lives, our lives for your lives. That's the trade, isn't it? And so she is a lady who is, is courageous and she's willing to risk. And she's a great example to us because of that. So we've got to ask ourselves the question of why did Rahab have such great faith? If we want to be a person who has a faith that gives birth to courage, that overcomes fear, then what can we learn from Rahab and how did she have such great faith? And for me, the key is verses 8 to 11. And this is the nub of the passage, I think. Okay. So before the the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Put very simply, it's the miraculous demonstration of God's power in the parting of the Red Sea, which to be frank is one of the most amazing miracles in the whole of the Bible. It's the miraculous demonstration of God's power that has convinced Rahab that Israel's God is the real deal. He's the real McCoy. He's none of this pocket-sized God, little household idol, you know, various gods for different times of the year or different things, but this is the real God. You know, there's a creator God. This is the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and her allegiance is going to be with him, and she's going to fear him. She's got this holy fear, this holy awe of Israel's God, which overcomes her fear of the earthly king. She's got this holy fear, this holy awe that overcomes her fear of the earthly king. And put very simply, I suppose the two things that we could get out of this would be that number one, when God works in powerful ways, people come to know him, don't they? Just, you know, I don't know how many passages in the Bible you could use to display that, but quite a lot. <laughs> that is the story of the Bible, isn't it? We know God, by nature, he is supernatural, yeah? And if we don't have some essence or some way that we demonstrate that supernatural being, people go, well, is, is God with you? But actually, when God shows up and works in power, and for us, that means trusting in the Holy Spirit and being like that guy, Pradip, who will risk and have courage and pray. And when we hear miracles happening, people pay attention, don't they? They go, whoa. And actually, um, the book I've been reading, rereading recently, is Power Evangelism by John Wimber. 
Um, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, and he, um, he coined this term power evangelism to describe really what happens to people who are possibly far away from God, who would consider resistant to the gospel, what happens to them when there are signs of power in, 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 in witness. So when there's prophetic words, when there's healing, and how people can come quickly towards Jesus or often right into relationship with him and serving when the power of God is displayed. And that's exactly what happened in that story in the Muslim village, wasn't it? You've got people who one minute, they've got stones and clubs they're over here and next minute they're like oh my goodness this is God and then they're sending out missionaries into India goodness me I mean that is transformation isn't it and that you know it's absolutely brilliant and it's you know it's it's demonstrated in the Bible again and again but what I'd like to maybe focus on a little bit more is this thing about holy awe and fear and what that looks like so verse 9 I know that the Lord has given this land to you and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you and she says later that their hearts are melting in fear and the reason I want to focus on this a little bit is that this is not just an Old Testament phenomenon this is not just a thing that happened in the story of Rahab and Joshua but this is something that we see in the life of Jesus and it's something that we see in the life of the early church so if we looked at Jesus, just, just one example, Mark 1, 23 to 24, an encounter with an evil spirit. Jesus is going, preaching in synagogues, demonstrating the kingdom. So yeah, Mark 1, 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. When Jesus is ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of darkness is quaking in fear. When, when Joshua was going to take the Israelites into the promised land, the Canaanites, were, their hearts were melting in fear. And it's the same in the New Testament. It's the same with the kingdom of God. In fact, one of the reasons I'm excited about doing the book of Joshua is that the person of Joshua and his conquest of the promised land, actually it prefigures the person of Jesus and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That's something that most theologians would agree on. In fact, Joshua and Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew, they have the same name. It means our God saves. So when we look at this book, and we know that, and we believe actually that James and Jane have this sense that actually God's leading us into a Joshua's chapter. It is not just about planting a church in North Guard, if exciting though that is, it's about understanding God expanding his kingdom and what we can learn. And so this thing of Rahab saying that the, the hearts of the people were melting in fear is a picture of what can happen in the ministry of Jesus and in the early church and in our church if we would trust in the Holy Spirit and if we'd be people who walk in the power of God. And that is what I would love to see. Um, and it's, you know, we can do it. It's possible. We need to encourage one another to be people of courage and risk and faith, okay? So it happens in the ministry of Jesus. You know, that demon says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. When Jesus pitched up, oh my goodness, it was quaking, melting time for the kingdom of darkness, wasn't it? It says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And when Jesus comes inaugurating the kingdom, he is on the offensive, isn't he? He's not going to take any messing from any demons. You know, he's at zip it. What does he say? Be quiet, Jesus said, come out of him. 
Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't take any messing. And Jesus, is, he is on the offensive and he has come to destroy the devil's work. And, and the early church, they knew that because they saw Jesus and they saw moving in, in, in works of power and they saw the Holy Spirit doing the same as they trusted in him. And so I suppose just to bring that home a little bit, part of the question is, would you describe yourself as being on the offensive or the defensive with your faith? Sounds a bit American football lesson. Offense, defense. I thought about this a few weeks and I thought, if I'm really, really honest, I would say that most of the time, my faith in my church life is pretty about maintaining the status quo. That's really, you know, my honest answer, you know. You know, faith's not always that alive. Church is nice, it's comfortable, you know, don't want it to cause too much conflict or too much difficulty. So, you know, people, do people view the church as this sort of dangerous, radical, revolutionary organisation? What are you doing this weekend? You're going to church. Oh, that's nice. I mean, nice time. Do you know what I mean? But actually, there's so much more. So to, to show that for the early church, one of my favourite passages... Just about got time for this. Acts 19, 11 to 20. So here we go. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I love that, extraordinary miracles, because I'm not quite sure what you have to do to get into miracle category. And if I'm not really sure what an extraordinary miracle is. <laughs> but God was obviously working powerfully, and let's see what the result was, okay? God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and I know about Paul. I mean, he must have been operating in some degree of power. Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. But when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. This thing of a holy ear, a holy, holy fear, a holy awe is not just Rahab in the Old Testament. It is not just Jesus. It is meant to be something that can be present in the church to bring great glory to God. Because we see what happens. It says, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I think that's amazing. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. It's this thing of the power of God reaching people who we would think are far away from the gospel, yeah? We would think are resistant to the message of Jesus and bring them right into a knowledge of God and going beyond bringing them into relationship with God and making them praise the Lord. And this is not seeking power for power's sake or excitement, but this is seeking that the name of the Lord Jesus will be held in high honour. Because wouldn't it be amazing if in years ahead, and I don't know how many years this would take, but wouldn't it be amazing if we could read this passage differently and we could say God did extraordinary miracles through his people in Cardiff, such that in Wales the name of Jesus was held in high honour. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could say that people who we thought were resistant to the gospel, who'd been openly opposed to it, were, were coming to confess the name of Jesus and, and that the name of Jesus was being held in high honour? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
And I think what is needed is for us to be a people of courage and a faith of people who will encourage one another. You know, the potential in this room is astounding, okay? You know, if we'll be a people, if we'll go this week and we'll say every day, Lord, will you speak to me? What, do, what have you got for me today? Who do you want me to speak to? If we're people who go into our workplaces being open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, who'll have courage, who'll be ready to share, who'll be ready to risk. We just don't know this week what could happen as we take a step of faith. A conversation about Jesus could open up. Somebody could, could maybe give their life to Jesus. It could be like this guy, Pradip, and a generation or a family could be changed. So we need to be people of courage who are who are inspiring, encouraging one another. I think on a, on a very practical term, you know, faith comes from God, doesn't it? Um, it says in the Bible that nobody can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 tells us that faith is a gift of God. You know, so if we want to be people of faith who have a, a courage that overcomes fear, we've got to ask God. We've got to be people who love the word, yeah, eat the word, so that we know that this thing of authority is, is already done. You know, we sang some great worship songs this morning, didn't we? We talked about God is able, he has lifted high, defeated the grave, raised to life our God is able. God is for us, he is with us, he will never fail us. You know, we did communion this morning. Is there any more authority that we could have? There isn't, it's been done. Last text, Colossians 2. 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. When you take communion, when you remember Jesus, when you trust in him, all disqualifications are gone. There's nobody who cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit or cannot experience the power of God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the kingdom of darkness has been defeated, hasn't it? And that's why that demon, when, when Jesus encountered him, he said, you've come to destroy us. And yes, he had. He'd come to destroy the works of the devil. But mostly as a church, and I put myself in here as well, and I know I need to be awoken. I'm trying to prance around here. But we're mostly, we're pretty pretty asleep, aren't we, in this? We're like this this sleeping giant, really. We ought to be marching forward, taking taking the ground, taking the kingdom of God. But we're like this sleeping giant for the most part, okay? And we need a shot of adrenaline in our arm, yeah? We need a shot of, and that's faith. It's faith that gives us courage to walk out in and trust God and risk so that we might see the kingdom of God extended. And I'm just going to share in, 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 in finishing one last story to kind of get us inspired, okay? To say, yeah, you know, for you, so I hope that you listen to this and you think, Lord, I want this. I want you to use me. Lord, I'm open. Give me courage. Give me faith. I want to be part of this journey. I want to seek your kingdom. This is just one, more, one last story. The story of Louis Flores Olmedo and his family is a remarkable illustration of how power evangelism transforms family today. For years, Dr. Flores was professor of pedagogy in the Department of Philosophy, which means to do with teaching and learning in the Central University of Quito, Ecuador. And he'd written five textbooks in his field of learning theory, plus over 200 journal articles. His studies took him to Europe, Egypt, and the Soviet Union. He was well known as the author of a booklet on how to raise the ideal atheist family. 
He's over here. He's opposed to God outrightly. Okay? In the booklet, he used his wife and his four children as the model godless family. Though he was not a member of the Communist Party, he did hold the position of intellectual leader of the campus Marxist movement. He took particular delight in ridiculing the faith of anyone who might believe in God, Catholic or Evangelical Protestant. In the May of 82, the Puerto Rican Pentecostal evangelist Yile Avile held an evangelistic campaign in Quito's Bullring. Flores' wife and his oldest daughter, Gabriela, were invited and decided to attend one of the meetings. And both women were physically healed and as a result became Christians and Gabriela also spoke in tongues. The younger children also became Christians during the campaign despite their atheistic training. Shortly after his wife and four daughters' conversions, Dr. Flores arrived home from the university to find his family on their knees praying for his salvation. When Gabriella saw her father enter the room, she said, Daddy, I'm going to prove to you once and for all that there is a God and that Jesus Christ is alive today. I'm going to sing for you in a language I've never learned. Gabriella then proceeded to sing in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave her words, and she sang in Russian, then German, then Italian, then French, and finally English. Dr. Flores was familiar with each language and he knew that Gabriella did not know them. And this experience left him shaken. That night he did not sleep. Holy fear. The next morning he cancelled all of his classes and locked himself inside of his office where he trembled because of the presence of a power he was unable to deal with. He trembled because of the presence of a power that he was unable to deal with. It's holy awe. That evening, he returned home to find his family praying for him. Gabriella again approached him, this time laying hands on him, prophesying over him with great authority. The Holy Spirit even revealed to Gabriella specific hidden sins in his life. The professor had had enough. <laughs> he dropped to his knees praying, Lord, I am a fool. Okay. <laughs> At that time, Dr. Flora, yeah, he offered his... He, Lord, I'm a fool, and he offered his life to God. At that time, Dr. Flores recalls, God picked him up off the floor and shook him like a doll three times. In the process, he was healed of a displaced lumbar vertebra, hemorrhoids, and numerous allergies. He also spoke in tongues. Unsurprisingly, Dr. Flores' conversion stuck. And on the 14th of March, 1989, he was ordained. Today, he's the pastor of Centro Cristiano Vida Abundante, Abundant Life Christian Center, where he leads a rapidly growing flock. Oh, is anybody up for that? <laughs> Does anybody want to see the power of God move? Do we believe that Jesus has conquered the power of sin and death and darkness? Yeah? And do we believe that we are God's people on earth to walk out his kingdom? Yeah? And do we believe that as we seek him, that he, that he will do this? That, he want, that it's from his heart that he wants to do it? Yeah? Why do we stand? <laughs>